When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it! Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DMVR Buffs podcast presented by the Colorado XOs. I'm Henry Chisholm, and we've got an awesome guest back again this week, Matt McChesney. How's it going? Good, brother. How are you? Go Buffs. Not bad. I just uh, got up to Boulder. I guess just got back down from Boulder. Had a chance to talk with Christian Gonzalez, who I thought played really well with Robert Barnes, who made his debut as a Buff. And some good stuff. Yeah, I'm sure that they're uh, they're eager to move on to Minnesota and you know and get that taste out of their mouth. Uh, you know, the Texas A&M game was frustrating, but it's uh, there's so many good things that came out of it as well. So it, it's all about how you look at it at this point. Exactly. And where where are you at at this point? I know that you you were pretty disappointed in the ending of that game. At, at what point were you able to kind of move on and say like? This this was a good thing for Colorado that happened today. You know that they they proved a lot to a lot of people, even if they didn't get the result that they wanted. Um, I don't think I'll ever just fully get over the fact that they blew a, a game where they should have beat the number five team in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am also of the mindset that the game should have been in Folsom, um, yep. and I I hope in the future we don't vacate our 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 advantage at Folsom Field just because we want to accommodate a bunch of other people's fans. Um, that's that's just my opinion. Um, Makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean that just, it really it really kind of pisses me off. I'm not going to lie, Henry. So, you know, I I am of this mindset. I think that the defense, and I've been saying this for months, brother. I think the defense is elite, and I think that Coach Wilson is going to. Yeah, I mean, if this defense goes from 31 points a game or whatever the hell they gave up last year mm-hmm. to they're what are they giving up now? Like 10, 8, 9, something like that in the yeah. first two games. Yeah. Average yeah. 10 and 7. Um, you know, he, he could be here for a year and get plucked as a head coach with the turnaround we've seen just in those two weeks. I mean, that was the first time that AM has been held under 100 yards rushing in like two years. So since LSU did it when they won the national title. So I, I think that the defense is elite. Um, I think that they're going to carry this team through what could be an 8, 9, 10 win season if they do it right. 
Uh, and I look, I'm, I hope and pray as a buff alum and faithful that they can find a way to maximize all of their offensive talent. But the play calling in the game was not good. And the short yardage play calling was bad. The red zone play calling was bad. And I'm not saying that it can't be fixed. I'm saying at some point a tiger has the stripes it has. So I am hoping that they can kind of diversify a little bit this week against Minnesota and look at some of the bad things they did in the game. And instead of just lingering on the negatives, like so many people are, myself included, um, find a way to fix it and make it a positive and learn from that offensively. Now that that's going to be the key to growth with this team, in my opinion. So the offense has got to support the defense because the defense is damn sure supporting the offense. That's a, it was a, an incredible defensive effort. Um, we're going to dig into the offense in a second. I have some questions about this defense, though. I mean, first of all, I want to keep it simple. Um, if, I, I think that that was a great defensive performance at all three levels. But if you had to pick defensive line, linebackers, secondary, which group stood out the most to you? The linebackers. I think so. I mean, and and ma- mainly just Nate Lamon. I mean, it, it bro, mm-hmm. I've seen some pretty good linebackers in my day and i played with guys like jay sean sykes and sean tufts and jordan dyson and brian ewu and i've never seen anybody play like nate plays and he, he missed solo tackles just How an unbelievable number all alone 10 just him yeah i mean it, it's it's hard it's a hard thing to do especially against a team like that and he was all over the place and Knowing Nate, I think he's going to be more pissed off about the interception that went through his hands that he could have scored on and the sack that he missed on a dead blitz. Um, but other, I think other than Chad Muma at Wyoming, who's an unbelievably good linebacker, uh, Nate Lamon should be the front runner for the Buckus. I'd say those two are probably one and two, in my opinion, in the country right now. So at landman really really showed me something we we talked about this at the beginning of the year henry when we did the show but i specifically remember saying that game is going to determine who's a pro and who's not yep and in my opinion i think lang is a draftable player i think landman is obviously draftable carson wells is draftable although we didn't hear Carson's name that much against AM for some reason. And I, I don't know if they just did a good job negating the pass rush from the edges or, or, or what was going on there. Um, you know, Robert Barnes played well. But the, the defense as a unit, everybody, you know, after playing for Coach Wilson as long as I did, everybody's got a job and everybody either plays hard or you don't play. And you are either the meanest son bitch on the field or he'll find somebody that will do it. And the just the characteristics that I grew up with at CU and how I was taught football, that's it right there. You play hard nose all the fucking time, and you either you either bloody the other man's lip or he bloodies yours. And this unit has bought into that mindset in a way that I that I just I'm so excited about the potential of this unit, especially against Minnesota this week and then Arizona State and SC. This next three weeks, they got a chance to really turn some heads and, and play unbelievably good defense. They do, and and they they could have turned heads this week, and I think that's probably what they, they did. And that's it. They 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 I don't know. They they tilted heads. 
They, they didn't get people to say, you know what, this is a top 25 team, but people are paying attention now at the very least. And, and they're I, going to be tuned in the next three weeks. First Minnesota, like you said, then Arizona State, USC. This is a real opportunity for them to take a step. And, and I want to I want to run something by you. So I think that they've kind of found their identity. Um, I think that the identity is you go man across the board, you leave a safety deep, and then kind of the key piece is leaving Nate Landman as a spy in the middle because when, when they just let him sit in there, first of all, it lets him – be free in the running game, make plays there. But he was breaking up passes in the middle of the field by reading the quarterback's eyes. I think I think they credit him with the two pass breakups. He's somebody who we've called a liability in coverage before, but it almost seems like this defense with those corners locking guys up outside, this just fits him perfectly. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that the liability and coverage thing is dying week by week, which mm-hmm. is fantastic i mean that's what we want and that's you know that's what he wants as a player nobody wants to have weaknesses talked about so i i think that the scheme that they're running and how aggressive it is and how in your face it is is perfect because it puts so much pressure on the other team's quarterback and the other team's offensive line to be on top of their game all the time they can't they have no no at no down the distance can you sit around and 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 sit back and go, okay, they're gonna play it safe on this down. And they have the potential and the and the players to back up the way that they're playing. And landmen being able to roam, you know, go out there, call the defense and roam sideline to sideline and make plays and play off instinct. That's what makes him great in the first place. So the pass rush has got to improve. Texas AM's offensive line did a relatively good job. Uh, you know, the quarterback got hurt on a scramble. The pass rush has to improve. The contain has to improve. The pursuit has to improve. Those are things that you can always improve. They're all effort-based. Um, but at, at the same time, the the good things that they're doing, they outweigh the negatives by, God, I, I don't know, 100% at this point, in my opinion. So it's hard to play defense like that in the net, in the, in college football. It really is. And Texas A&M is extremely explosive. I mean, they've got guys everywhere, and it, it, they looked on offense anemic. And the the issue is, though, so did we. So that has to be fixed, or we're going to have the best defense in the Pac-12 and win six games. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, just looking ahead to this Minnesota game a little bit. Uh, obviously PJ Fleck up there, they, they want to use a lot of extra offensive linemen, put them in those tight end spots. They yeah. want to run a bunch of RPOs. I just feel so confident about this defense going up against that. Uh, just, just knowing that you can put Christian Gonzalez man on man against any of those receivers. You can do the same with Makai Blackman. It sounds like Chris Miller's probably back too you don't need to worry too much about what's outside. And those guys can kind of take the passing part of the RPO out of the, out of the equation. And you just let Nate kind of plug things up inside. Am am I crazy for thinking that this matchup just fits really well for, for what the bus want to do? No, this is beautiful. I mean, you're getting Minnesota in Folsom at 11 AM, you know, it's, it's what 10 a.m. their time, right? Minnesota Central, correct? It'd be yeah, it goes the other way. It'd be so it'd be noon their time. Yep. Okay, so never mind. I mean, I, look, <laughs> it's an advantage. It's an advantage because of the altitude and the environment. Yep. It's and, you know, it, and the heat. It's going to be hot on Saturday again, and 
the Buffs defense, look, I would think that they're going to play harder and more aggressive this week because of last week's outcome. Now everybody's back's against the wall, and they're like, okay, we're, there's no way we're dropping this game to Minnesota at home. And minute, look, I watched Minnesota go toe-to-toe with Ohio State in the opener, but they lost their heart and soul on offense. Their running back, who's a, who's a draft pick if he's healthy next year and does what he does, he got hurt. And that offensive line is huge, yes, but but big offensive lines have problems with really athletic defensive lines that are long. And if you look at the contrast here with just Ohio State, we're going to use them as the example here because I've watched them play against Minnesota and then Oregon. Oregon's offensive line with Mario Cristobal and Marbell and how they like to do things, their gap scheme, they are downhill. They're just going to try and bludgeon you and move you. Now, Minnesota's physical, and they put multiple offensive linemen on the, on the field, but they're running a lot of zone scheme and movement stuff with huge offensive players. And Ohio State's defensive line was penetrating and eating that alive after Ibrahim got hurt. So with with the Oregon scheme of of gapping and moving people, they kicked Ohio State's ass up front. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at this like, okay, CU and their defensive line, how athletic they are and how Wilson is telling them to read the run on the way to the pass and how well that's working because of the penetration. If they can penetrate on Minnesota's offensive line the same way and at the same level that Ohio State did, which I believe they can, um, I think they're going to be in the backfield the entire game. And the, I don't think that the quarterback has the talent. He might have the he may have the desire, but far from the talent to beat us. And the the receivers from Minnesota do not scare me one iota. So I think that this is an opportunity to, for Colorado to go out and put a beatdown on on the Gophers on Saturday. And I'm not saying they're going to just beat their ass or shut them out or anything, but I would expect, and I almost, I'm not going to guarantee, but I'm as close to a guarantee as I could get that this defense is going to play lights out again Saturday. I think so. And just in talking with those guys today, I actually had a chance to talk with Chris uh, Wilson today too. Um, And and all of them said, you know, there's, there's really no hangover from this. Like we, we had our 24 hours. We got back in the meeting room. Everybody understands. And, and, the vibes that I was getting was basically what you said, that, that they almost have even more of a chip on their shoulder after not winning last week. And, and I'm right there with you. The question, if it's going to be a blowout, is what's going to happen with the offense. Before we get to the offense, though, um, you mentioned Nate Lamb is the guy who really stood out. Can you throw out just like two more names of, of defenders who really impressed you in that game? Uh, Lang. I mean, I, I, I thought that Lang was everywhere. Um the when they what they run the reverse and then the action off of it and both yep. like both guys just got murked and yep. and 54 was on one of them but you know what the the thing that really impressed me the most about 54's performance was look bro i've been hurt a lot in my life playing this game and i love it and i don't ever want to come off the field so you can take my ass up and shoot me up with whatever you want but i'm going fucking back in and to watch that man walk off the field knowing that his ankle just got rolled up on like a son of a bitch or his knee, or whatever it was, and all he did was walk off and tape it and run back out there and contribute more and play as hard as he did, I was absolutely blown away by that performance. And and I I love him at three techniques. So I I would assume that when Mustafa comes back, you know, fingers crossed that that sooner than later, I'd love to see him back against Arizona State or, or USC. You could put Lang and Mustafa inside at like a two-eye, three-technique combo and then – 
91 played his ass off. And yeah. I, I just I thought the interior defensive lineman, and I know Lang plays defensive end a lot too. They really, really played well. Uh, they were very, very aggressive. And then you you said the guy earlier, Christian Gonzalez, look, when you don't hear someone's name very much in a game and that someone plays corner, that's good. Yep. You know, it's like it's like the, it's the Jalen Ramsey effect. That I was watching Sunday Night Football and they were talking about last year when Jalen Ramsey was just playing one spot. You didn't hear his name a lot because no one threw the ball at him. And now they're like moving him around all over the place and he's making plays everywhere. Mm-hmm. I Christian Gonzalez, Christian Gonzalez is a a first round talent in the defensive yep. backfield, in my opinion, as a young player. I agree. And 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 obviously the coverability is is what is most important, but he was doing everything. I mean, he had two tackles for loss in that game. There was a yeah, he's, he he's a stud, bro. He, t- he didn't just take away his man. He took away a side of the field, and it, it's just so much fun to watch him develop. And like I said, I had a chance to catch up with him today, and I wanted to talk to him because he just lit up that Texas A&M offense, and he is so confident right now. And he's, he's, he's a quiet guy. He's not cocky. He's not a talker. But, but just to talk to him and say, like, you know, it, it's got to be pretty nice just going out there and running man coverage and beating them consistently. He's like, yeah. We're a man team. That's what we do. And we think that any of these Pac-12 receiving, receiving groups, if they come up against us, we can go man and we're going to win. And, and that's, that, that's mentality because, right and it, it all feeds uh, the, the other two. Like the, the middle of the defense, the heart and soul, 53 feeds the confidence of the front four. The front four feed the confidence of Lamin. Lamin feeds the confidence of the back four. It, the way that they work together is so awesome to see because it's the way that I – grew up playing I you know coach Wilson was on those staffs and he adopted so much of what he's had from all over the place from from Mike Hankowitz and all of his time at SC and all of his time at Mississippi State and all of his time at Oklahoma and his time in at Philadelphia with Fletcher Cox and all those animals that won a Super Bowl you know if you look at the defensive scheme they're running in Boulder and you go back and look at the teams that he was on uh, in, in Philadelphia when they won the Super Bowl it's it's the same shit. It's dominate up front, pers- pursue, and and penetrate, or penetrate and pursue on defense with the front four, and have linebackers that run sideline to sideline, and defensive backs that are going to mug you up and make it so when you have space to run a, a four yard route with twelve yards of cushion like they were last year with Tyson Summers because he doesn't want to get beat. Well, now Wilson's cutting it down and saying, "Put hands on these motherfuckers at the point of attack," so our defensive linemen can actually get home which they are so it's beautiful it, it's it's henry it is so fun to watch bro because I, i'm i knew they had this potential i've known they've had it we've talked about it so many times like i knew it i knew that they were going to be like this i knew how aggressive they were going to be taught i knew how fundamentally sound they were going to be taught and you're just watching a, a team that can read keys that pursues and plays hard they rotate in multiple guys on the defensive front. You know, one, I was really, I'm really impressed with my guy, Trustin Oliver, honestly. He's only gotten a couple of plays, but he's out there making them. Keep your eye on nine. He's one of the freakish athletes I've ever worked with my entire life. And he had to go the Juco route to get into school. And he's done everything he's supposed to do. And now he's on the field. That some bitch is going to be a draft pick too one day. He is special. Love to hear it. I just, I, so I, I just turned on this game again so that I could watch it while we talk. This is like my fourth time through and I know everything <laughs> that's coming, but, but just watching some of these third downs with Gonzalez out there 
I, I think there were two in the first half where he was in man coverage. The quarterback threw the ball at him, one on a crosser where he, he's right on the guy's hip all the way across the field and then breaks the pass up perfectly clean, just beautiful. And then there's another one where it's a little slant with a pick inside him and he navigates the pick, catches back up, gets on his hip and makes the window small. It is just beautiful to watch. And, and it's not fluky is the thing. Like you, you watch him play and it isn't like he's getting lucky out there. He is just in perfect position every single play. And, and honestly, Makai Blackman's doing the same thing on the other side. And, and Makai is a baller, bro. It's beautiful. Like you just have these two taking out, uh, taking out everything on the boundary. And so you don't have to have, you know, the, the slot guy kind of creeping out, playing a little zone over there just in case. You don't have to put a second safety deep because you're worried about it. You don't have to spread your linebackers in case things move. You just get to let everybody else focus on stuffing everything inside. And I, it's really hard to say that this defense, like the, the strength of it comes from anywhere other than Nate Landman, but it really does help to just have two lockdown corners. Uh, it, it makes everything so easy on, on the rest of your team because it gives you an extra guy to roam around with at the line of scrimmage. And, and that's what you see them doing. Look, if they would have done, if they would have lost 10 to seven to Cal or something, I would have been pretty pissed off, but they, they went toe to toe with a team that a lot of people think is a playoff caliber football team, even with the quarterback hurt and the quarterback wasn't hurt when he started the game, they knocked his ass out the game. So I'm not advocating injury or anything, but when you knock the other person's quarterback out of the game because of physical football play, and that was, you know, that's what was that? That was one, right, Thomas? Yeah, I mean, that was the play you're talking about earlier, where, yeah. where Lane got he through and him blew up, up the running back. Beat his ass. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they, you can't you can't run the ball without expecting to get hurt by this defense. Exactly. Not, not like they they, they are they're not trying to hurt you, mm -hmm. but they are trying to run through you. And if you get hurt, then I don't know, lift more or something. I, I don't know what the answer to that question is. So run on this defense is the answer. Don't exactly. run on Nate Landman. Well, look, look, Henry, how how looking at, at what we're looking at here, Minnesota is a quality football team. They're going to be a bowl team. Arizona State's a quality football team. They're going to be a bowl team. Mm -hmm. USC got their ass kicked on national TV against Stanford. And I, I was so excited to watch that because I've got so many guys that play for Stanford, but they, you know, everybody wants to take it out on SC these days. And, and this may be our opportunity to finally get our win against those sons of bitches. So I, I the agree. Next, you the know, next three of, weeks set the table, bro, in my opinion. With USC, like we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves talking about it. But like you said, like they got their asses kicked by Stanford. Stanford just beat them up in the trenches. They well, the beat before, the hell out of them. So I, I worked. The week I, before, I Kansas State beat Stanford up in the trenches. And see, so that I was talking about that today on my podcast on McChesney Unchained. Everybody go check it out. We had uh, the voice of the Broncos, Rick Lewis, on the show today. But um, we were talking about the – I was talking about that dynamic, like the Kansas State, you know, how they dominated Stanford. And Stanford had to go look at themselves in the mirror. And they came back out with a chip on their shoulder. SC beat up San Jose State at home. And, you know, the, the Spartans won the Mountain West last year. And they felt really good about that just to turn around and get absolutely fucking manhandled by the Stanford by the Stanford Cardinals. So I'm looking at this like, look, CU lost a, a heartbreaking game on national TV, and they've had a. I've heard a lot of very very optimistic things about their defense, but at the same time, you're hearing this like narrative like, 
you know, Shiv's play calling is, is, is terrible and they can't attack the middle of the field and they got to do this and that. And can't Brandon Lewis play the position and all this other bullshit that motivates these yeah. kids and, and the coaching staff, in my opinion, at a level that I think you're going to see an offensive explosion against Minnesota and they can play defense. I, I just think that you're going to see that same kind of dynamic. You're going to hear, see an angry defense that wants to prove that they are a top 25 caliber team because they win that game, bro. They're ranked. And, mm-hmm. and the offense now, they can pick up their game to a point and elevate it. And wouldn't you expect the offense to, to get better and better and better every week playing against this defense? Or let me ask you this. Is it kind of like a Baltimore Raven dynamic when they had Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and like nobody wanted to go play quarterback there because they would just beat the shit out of them in practice all the time and like destroy their <laughs> confidence? And that's a fact. Like that, that happened. So like, is that the dynamic in Boulder right now? The defense is just so much better than the offense that the offense can't find a way to like get their feet underneath them? We're, we're going to dig into that offense in just a second, and then we're going to start with that question. Um, to wrap up this defensive talk, before we take a quick break, before we get into the offense, I, I want to read four stats for you, and you're going to tell me which one you like the best. Okay. Uh, this comes from, like, the no-context college football account, uh, just to give them some credit. So, Buffs defense gave up 10 points. That's the second worst for AM under Jimbo Fisher. The, uh, the defense gave up 288 total yards. That's the fourth worst under Jimbo Fisher. Uh, 14 first downs is the second worst. And uh, eight three and outs is the worst under Jimbo Fisher for Texas A&M. That is impressive right there, brother. <laughs> it's incredible. Holy shit, that's impressive. I mean, bro, we I watched, I watched Texas A&M beat the dog shit out of North Carolina last year. I watched them, I watched them beat Florida's ass in, at, at Kyle Field like 40 points. Like they they ran with they they ran with Alabama for three quarters last year, and CU manhandled them on offense, bro. They couldn't they couldn't function. I was sitting on the on the Texas A and M side for the first half with my sons, and those people were sitting there like, "What the hell's going on?" I thought CU was just a Pac twelve team. Blah 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, <laughs> man, I'm like this that when you're hearing it from the other side, it it just validates what you already thought you knew. So. <laughs> Bro, bro, those numbers are nuts. And and I I'm look, I I, I don't really like Texas AM that much. We we beat their ass twice in college, but we I also lost to them my senior year in double overtime in Kyle Field. And the 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 same way, like the disgust I had that day in the locker room. I was talking to Lawrence Vickers about this. I was we went to the game together. And Vic and I were sitting there and I was with Tufts and James Gary and Wilder and Pesaveno and a bunch of other cats. And all we could talk about was how we lost to them, not when we beat them. So that that still sits in all of our crawls. Like everybody's still pissed off about it. And it's like 20 fucking years later almost. And so I can only imagine how motivated and pissed off those young men up there right now are just to get the taste out of their mouth. I mean, I, I would expect the defense to be absolutely mad dog fucking crazy Saturday. I totally agree. Um, before we get into that game uh, and a little bit more about the offense, Got to give a shout out to our friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, they make incredible beers. I love the Strawberry Sky. Some of you might, might be able to like more. I'm, I'm wearing a pink sweatshirt right now. So, of course, nice. I'm going to be uh, shouting out Strawberry Sky and not like an <laughs> IPA. Or um, but, but they have so much good stuff. I also like the seltzers. No surprise there. And we're going to have a tailgate before this Minnesota game. Like Kickoff is at 11. 
We'll be up there with the All Buffs crew at the north side of Farron Field starting at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, we'll have a bunch of Breckenridge beer. The All Buffs guys will have the, the grill going. There's a great time uh, for the uh, first game, the Northern Colorado game. I'm sure it's going to be a great time again. Hopefully we see you there. And if not, make sure you make it down to the DMVR bar because there's a whole bunch of cool stuff going on. Uh, they've got the, the watch party for the game. They'll have the sound on. Uh, you don't find that at very many bars. Uh, it's, it's a cool place to watch a game and they've got Breckenridge beers, which we, uh, we really, really like. Um, also need to give a shout out to, uh, solace meds. So solace has a whole bunch of awesome monthly deals. Uh, and the best part is that if you use the code DNVR 20, then you'll actually get 20% off of everything that you get, like your entire purchase after these deals. So here's what these deals are. You can get the Can America gummies for 25% off, the Strains tinctures for 20% off, Rockin' Cartridges, 25% off, Glacier Concentrates, 20% off. And uh, they also, oh, we're past Patriots Day. That means you guys missed out because you could have gotten buy three, get the fourth for 10 cents. Um, <laughs> what a deal, what a deal. You, you losers didn't get in on it. Um, <laughs> Also, if you head to any location, and they they have four awesome locations, one in uh, Fort Collins, one in Wheat Ridge, one off of Broadway, one that's just blocks away on East Colfax from the DNVR bar, you can use that code DNVR20. You'll get 20% off, and you get a free Solace Bar King Cone. It's a great deal. We suggest you order online. It makes it super simple. You just got to run in there and pick it up. Just head to solacemeds.com. That's S-O-L-A-C-E meds.com. Make sure that you use that DNVR20 code. All right, um, so we got we got all the fun stuff out of the out of the way talking about the defense, the offense not quite so inspiring. And you brought up, you know, is it is it just tough to be a good offense when you're going up against that that defense in practice? And here's what I can add. Uh, so we talked with Brady Russell yesterday. He was at the the Buffs press conference, and somebody asked him, you know, are you surprised that the passing game has had a bit of a slow start, or is this kind of what you expected? And what he said was that during camp, the passing game was great. Everything was going well. They were competitive with the defense. And so he is kind of surprised that they've had these struggles early on in the season. And I think that that's, that's what you want to hear. Although at some point you just got to see it translate to the field. Yeah. And, and look, Brady is a leader and a captain of this football team. I, 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 I'm not going to sit here and say that I like the rotating captains thing. I think that oh. I, I was a, a captain for every game you wear a C on your chest for a reason. And I, I personally don't like the rotating captain thing, but it, it is what it is. I think Brady and, and Nate should both have C's on their chest. I think that goes a very long way, honestly, in establishing who your leaders are, but that's just my opinion. Um, I will say this. I did not anticipate the struggles of this offense at this point. Like it, it the fact that they can't run the football consistently and they don't have the ability to really affect the defense with Broussard out of the backfield. And I haven't seen a ton of multiple tight end sets with Lynch and Pell and Brady on the field together where you're, you can like attack the middle of the field at different levels, like, a, like an Iowa state does mm -hmm. that they have the offensive personnel to really, really attack the defense in a lot of different ways. And just based on the the play calling that that we saw on Saturday, it seemed like to me at least 
They were trying to, they're trying to be physically physical and aggressive with Texas A&M and it worked early. They got six points out of it, but running the ball at 92 over and over and over again in short yardage situations. There's a reason that guy's a first round draft pick this year. I mean, he, he was whipping Purcell's ass at the point of attack. And, and I think Colby would be the first one to, to say he was. So I, I think that their ability to run the ball is only going to help them throw the ball. And I'd like to think that Brandon Lewis has the ability to stand back there in the gun with four or five receivers on the field and throw it down the field. But Shiv has to trust his young man to do it too. So he's not at the point in his career where he's going to go out there and dictate to the defense, Henry, and like change the play. So this is on coach Shiv to call plays that maximize his talent and losing Chenault to suspension. That sucks. Stanley looks a little beat up and rice. I'm, I, I don't know what the hell is going on there and how that kid is so underutilized. So what are your thoughts on all this, man? Am I, am I overanalyzing this and being too hard on Shiv and the offense? I, uh, I honestly don't know. I think that there's, there's definitely reasons to not be quite as upset about the offense. I mean, with the first one being it's Texas A&M. And the truth is they're not number five in the country because of their offense. They're number five. Well, they're 10th in the, they're, they're they're tenth in the country now. So they penalize them like they lost. It's true. It's true. So keep that in mind. They, they, the, the voters or the, the, the guys who evaluate teams sat there and go, okay, drop these guys. They, they didn't play well. Now, all that said, I, I agree with you. They weren't playing Texas a and but bro, all those missed opportunities, the opportunity to have the opportunity to miss is number one. Awesome. But mm-hmm. when you're put in that situation, you have a running quarterback. Why are they sneaking twice in a row? If you're, ju- if you're just going to sneak and they stop you the first time, take the points. You're all, you take them down 10, nothing. Mm-hmm. So there has to be more creativity when you have this kind of offensive personnel. I just yeah. don't see how that can get worked around, especially if you play that well toe-to-toe with a team and lose to them the way you did. It should be motivation to try and change the things that you can't fix instead of just keep trying to fix things that you can't change. Yep. Um, when it comes to the play calling, I, I think that the uh, the third and one, fourth and one, where they sneak both times, that's the one that really stands out to me. And I think you're absolutely right. You don't go at the best nose tackle in the country. I think that I really like the strategy, like in a vacuum, you know, if you're, if you're in a fourth and one down there, yeah, sneak the ball, but you have to adjust when you're going up against this particular defense with that particular player right across from where you're trying to get this yard. You, you're, well, you're who does the same thing twice? What are we playing play. a video game? Who what? does the same play twice, Henry? I know. Well, and who then, does a third, who does a third and one sneak and then just goes out there and does the same damn thing. I agree. And that's where I mean, Carl, Carl DeRell really didn't like... overturn that. That, that, that. That's my question is, Coach Terrell had to know they were going to sneak it twice. Mm-hmm. Nobody I, I, on the sideline was like, no, don't sneak it twice. I, I think they should have, first of all, challenged that third down sneak because I think there's a good chance he actually did pick that up. And, and then, I, I agree, though. Like, you, you got you to gotta come up with something more creative just to, to get away from DeMarvin Leal right there. You know, whether it's some sort of little option, some read option, some, like, RPO, something – Anything you need half a yard. You need half a yard. You need half a yard. I mean, if you can't get a fucking yard, you don't deserve to win. And that I don't know how many times I've heard that 
but it, it's a lot. And I've heard it from Bill Parcells to Coach Wilson to the fucking GAs. If you can't get a yard, you're going to lose. And that was the turning point in the game, bro, period. When they stopped them on fourth down driving in to score, if CU goes up 14 to nothing right there, that game is over. Absolutely. And they are. They, st- they start putting nails in their coffin, dude. I totally agree. I do also think, though, that in, in the larger like picture of this whole game, losing Jarek Broussard for the second half, you know, he, I, I think they got him in there a couple times and, and maybe threw him the ball a couple times. It obviously took like the big hit after the Daniel Arias drop that kind of kept him out, but to not be able to, to hand the ball off to him once for him not to get one carry in that second half. I mean, it's, you can't be losing your best player against Texas A&M and expecting good things to happen. Now, should they have done better than like five straight three and outs or whatever it was? Yeah, probably. But the truth is they, they moved the ball pretty well in that first half. You know, there's obviously the touchdown drive. They got all the way down there deep. They had another field goal attempt. And I think that what they did in that first half is an offense as a whole. You give them, you give them a solid B for that effort against that defense, right? It's just in the second half where things just fell apart. And without Jarek Broussard, what, what can you really expect against Texas A&M's defense? Well, I would expect for the other backs that I watched all score in the first game and have that much explosion to step in and play. That's what I would expect because I'm, I'm, I'm from an era at CU where we rotated in Purify, Cortland Johnson, Chris Brown. on. So it doesn't really matter who's in the backfield. But I look, when you throw Broussard into a, a, a squatting corner who breaks on him and annihilates his kneecap, you're not going to have him. Yep. So – this is look, Tom Brady, and not to not to sit here and like blow Tom Brady or anything, but he's the GOAT. At the beginning of the season before they played Dallas, they were interviewing him and he was talking about the lack of knowledge with quarterbacks and how it, it puts their offensive players in unwinnable situations because they don't know what they're reading or they throw them into bad situations. So Brandon Lewis threw Broussard into an awful play and got him hurt. So that's that's a learning experience that they have got to learn from. The worst thing that they can do as a unit and as a, as as individual players right now is walk in there and be so frustrated about the situation that they that they take everything that's said in a, in a manner that's not constructive towards growth. They can't act like the media does. They can't be discouraged and disgruntled like us. It's our job to have these emotions because we're trying to reiterate the emotions of the fan base, but also have a little bit of a, a, a constructive mindset on, on what they can do to fix it. That's why you and I are talking about this shit. But the, as the, the players and the coaches, if there's any sensitivity in that room about how, how to fix this, from the OC to the position coaches to the players, they won't fix it. And it'll rear his ugly head again this week, and it'll start getting contentious. And then there's going to be changes made. Because at no point or, or time in life is Carl Durrell going to sit around and waste this defense. So changes need to come in the offensive line, in my opinion. They need, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, if, if Lewis struggles, they look somewhere else at quarterback too, because that's just the way this works. I'm not calling for him to get benched by any means. I'm saying that 
at some point, just like they just did with the University of Texas and they just did at Stanford, the other guys on the roster are going to get a look if the other guy isn't doing what the coach wants. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's, let's get into Brendan Lewis a little bit deeper. Now we'll, we'll talk offensive line in a second. Um, here's my evaluation it, just to sum it all up and oversimplify. I think that that Brendan Lewis looked better this week than he did last week, although by a pretty slight margin. And, and the reason I think that he did take a little step forward is because after that first game, the, the, the biggest complaint was they just held onto the ball too long. And this week, uh, these numbers are from pro football focus. He went from 4.78 seconds before he threw the ball to 2.65, a full two seconds faster. He was getting rid of the ball. Um, I thought we saw some of that. I thought he was more decisive. Um, and while there were a, a couple of missed throws, uh, a couple of balls that kind of floated on him a little bit, a couple of balls that uh, just weren't where they need to be. Uh, I thought in general, he looked better, although still not where he needs to be for this team to, to compete for a PAC 12 title. I, and I look, I agree that he made more decisive decisions. No one's saying he didn't. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. We definitely saw that. You you know what you were looking at. I know what I was looking at. The ball was coming out faster, no doubt. They were they were calling plays that get the balls that gets that gets the ball out quick as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I feel like everything he did on Saturday was predetermined by Coach Schiff. I think Coach Shiv sat there during the week and said, this is who you're throwing the ball to on this play. This is who you're throwing the ball to on this play. I don't even think he was trying to go through his reads, bro. I think he was just out there trying to get rid of the goddamn ball. And unfortunately, when you're doing play, when you're playing quarterback like that and you're only focused on trying to get rid of the ball to the one guy the coach wants you to get the ball to on that particular play, it cuts down on looking at other opportunities down the field. And then when you take a shot down the field and an old boy drops the ball, that immediately deters the offensive coordinator from taking another shot because yeah. it's a wasted play. So it's got to be give and take here. The, the, the offensive coordinator has got to feed the quarterback the confidence to not only look at the first read, but look at the second read as well and still be able to get rid of the ball in the same amount of time because you, you know as well as I do, elite quarterback play is determined on your ability to process information and get rid of the football in a very, very, very fast manner. And it damn sure ain't five seconds, bro. You give me five seconds when I'm playing three (laughs) technique and I'm fucking running his ass over every time. So it's, it is, it is an improvement, but that is the only thing that improved in my opinion, because I didn't like the decision-making. I didn't like some of the tight window throws. I really didn't like the fact that they didn't double move anybody the whole game. They didn't run any seam routes with their with their tight ends. That Alec Pell wasn't maximized. I mean, that some bitch could run, and he they yeah. didn't even throw him the ball. So, I I think it's a bigger problem than just twelve. But he really, he really, really, really needs to figure out if he's going to be a game manager or if he's going to be a a defense exposer because that's the guys who expose defenses in college are are good quarterbacks game game managers in college football are a dime a dozen you can find a game manager just about anywhere i mean jt stroud's probably a game manager as he's hurt so is is 
this problem a lack of competition in the room, in your opinion? Because Lewis was playing pretty well when he was being pushed, and then he the, the guy that was pushing him got hurt, and now he doesn't have any competition in the room from what we think. So what's your opinion on that? How do you feel about that? I think it's big. I, I think that's really big. Um, and, you know, you brought up the fact that, you know, if, if the guy isn't getting it done, you go to another guy. You have to. Yep. Well, I think that there's a good chance that that would have happened if there was a JT Shrout in that room. I just think that the difference between JT Shrout and the, the true freshman who's currently the number two is so wide that it's going to take a, a lot more, for, some more failures from Brendan for him to get benched. And I think because of that, I think maybe we saw some of that in the Northern Colorado game. You know, he's not going out there against Northern Colorado saying, I need to impress to keep this job. He's going out there saying, just don't make any mistakes. As long as I don't leave this game, uh, you know, with, with uh, it, it being close at the end or with two, three interceptions, something like that, then this is my job. And, and I do think that it really does hurt. And I think that it's also good for him to just have another good arm in practice. You know, when it's just him and then there's a drop off to the two true freshmen and the, the walk on transfer from the D3 school, you just you just need something to push you. You just need something to push you. And it absolutely does not help him to not have JT Shroud in there. And that's on top of the fact that JT, there was a very real chance, probably a 50 50 chance he was going to be the opening day starter anyway. All right. Well. That's pretty much how I feel about the situation as well. So, <laughs> look, man, I, I, I would not be surprised at all if they go back into the transfer portal this offseason to find another quarterback to push 12. And, I look, I am of the mindset because of my time at Colorado and the way that I've seen Colorado quarterback play since I was a whip. Other than, like, Cordell Stewart and, and Hagan, even Coy Detmer, and Coy Detmer was great too, but th those three are probably the best three that I grew up watching. Mm -hmm. But even Coy, even Coy had John Hessler. And, you know, when, when I was there and Craig Oaks was the man, he, Bobby Pesabeno is the one that won us the Big 12 champ championship, and he's the quarterback at CU that everybody reveres. And when, you know, when Robert Hodge was there in 2002, we, we had Joel Klatt on that roster. Like, if Klatt plays in 02, because he could have done exactly what he did in 02 and 03, or in 03 and 02, I, th I think we win the Big 12 title. So it's on the coaches to think outside the box at the quarterback position because, look, Jordan, I'm Jordan Warvington, the, the, the true freshman kid from Durango, is one of my guys, and he has got a goddamn cannon for an arm. I don't know if he's ready to play college football, but I know he's talented. And, and the, the second-string kid, what's his name again, Henry? Uh, Penry, Chase Penry. Yeah. No, no, no. The second string quarterback kid. Oh, quarterback, Drew Carter. Drew Carter. He, he was a highly touted kid as well. For sure. And, you know, I guarantee you he has talent. And it's not like Brandon Lewis is a is a vet. He might as well be a true freshman, bro. This is his first time playing in his life. So, you know, what's very intriguing to me is, and I hate to put this out there like this, but the left-hander McCown that's coming in. Yep. That kid could play, bro. And I, I know it's high school and everybody can play in high school, but shit, that kid can play. And and that he's going to walk in and push as well. So it's good to have a little bit of depth in the quarterback room. It's good to have veterans. And they don't. They don't have depth and they don't have veterans. So that is a, is a very – look, if, if Lewis goes down, I'm scared shitless on what happens to this team. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm scared when he's healthy and he starts and I'm still freaked out. So (laughs) it it just, just, well, just because everybody can take away, look, it's making me question whether or not we should have gotten rid of Neuer. And I know Neuer isn't doing great at, at Oregon state, but Oregon state's not CU. Oregon state isn't any good. CU's pretty good. So I, I just, it, it's making me kind of reevaluate the whole Neuer going somewhere else thing because if they were really, really relying on Stroud that much and he was their only backup plan in college football, this isn't the league where you can bring in somebody off the street. You know, like you, you, you are what you are at that position. Once you start training camp, you can't go out and get anybody. So if he was the only cat we had that we trusted with the football, and he goes down, and now we're, I'm not saying stuck with 12, but we're, there's not another option unless there's injury. You don't see him getting benched, do you? I mean, he'd have to go out and really shit down his leg to get, to get benched. He would. I imagine. And again, like, we don't get to see practices. And so, I mean, what we know is that the only other option at this point, um, or the best option at this point, is Drew Carter, who got to campus this spring, was getting third-team reps, which is not many reps when there's a quarterback competition going on. And I guess at that point, Neuer was still there, so he was behind behind Neuer too. Um, yep. Then as soon as Shrout goes down, he, uh, he becomes the number two, and he's been getting significant reps in practice for about a month now. And well, let I me ask you a question. that's not nearly enough, but maybe he's just so talented that it is. Let me ask you a question. If something were to happen to Lewis, do you think they would potentially think about putting Matt Lynch back quarterback and just running quarterback power Seppo style at people? I think so. I think so. I, I, think, I that, think Matt Lynch can play quarterback, bro. I've, I've seen him do it at a very high level. He's one of my guys too. So I just, that, that's that got to be an idea in their head as well, knowing that he used to be a quarterback and he could sling him too. I, I bet if, if, if something were to happen to Brendan and for some reason he can't play, then I do think they switch Lynch to quarterback and get him trained up. I don't know if he starts over uh, Drew Carter or not. I guess that during the transition when you're like teaching Matt the offense from that perspective, I don't even know how much that would take. I guess it's more just getting into the flow of footwork and getting that. Well, I, yeah, it would be, it would be a timing and footwork thing. I guarantee you he knows the playbook. Like it, that, yeah, would, yeah. that wouldn't be the issue at all. It, I guarantee you he could rock, walk in there and do it. It'd be about it would be about trying to accommodate the talent level and being like, okay, he's a big tight end now, but he did play quarterback. Let's line up and just bludgeon people with quarterback power and just run down their throat. So exactly. I, I, I think they style. can do that. I think they can do that now. I, I love the plays with getting Lewis on the edge on zone read and the bootlegs. Those were the best plays of the game, yeah. was when 12 was out in the field running. Those were their most explosive plays. So they need to do that more. I'm surprised they didn't do it more. I'm shocked that they didn't. I, I would have ran in that game alone on Saturday. I would have ran Brandon Lewis 25 times. I I think that you're probably onto something. And after the game, Carl said the reason they didn't run him more in the second half was just because so much of that was a read option where Texas A&M in the second half said, we can't be letting Brendan beat us because he's carving us up force him to hand the ball off. And that's what happened. And at the same time, in going back and watching, there were, there was at least one play where he handed the ball off for like a two yard loss when there was a big hole opening up in front of him. And it was just a little mistake, but, but to go back to the quarterback stuff to, okay. First of all, if Sam Neuer 
or if, if the buffs knew they wouldn't have JT Shroud, Sam Neuer absolutely sticks around because I bet he thinks at the very least he has a chance to beat out Brendan. If not, he's the number two and he's the number two behind a running quarterback. I think he does stick around. They just didn't know that at the time. The other thing is with, uh, if, if Brendan were to get hurt and we'll knock on wood for that one, um, I think that you switch Matt Lynch to quarterback, but you probably give Drew Carter one to two starts during that transition period. And then you make the decision. see what he is. Yeah, I agree. If you need to put in Lynch, you put in Lynch. If not, you keep rolling with Drew Carter. Um, And and also, you know, next year's quarterbacks, they're – I mean, it's obviously going to be a better room than this year because you don't lose anybody. You've got more guys with more experience and Brendan Lewis and Drew Carter. You've got JT Shrout back from injury. And like you said, you've got Owen McCown on campus too. It's just, it's just a tough year to be losing a quarterback in that room. Yeah, it is, no doubt. So but let's just pray that 12 stays healthy and yep. keeps progressing. And I think he will. I mean, I like the mental makeup of the kid and I think he's pretty tough and I th- again, as a competitor, when things like this happen and you lose a game you think you should have won, they'll never forget it, and it should be the motivating factor to push them in the right direction, uh, you know, for the rest of the year. So, it it look it, realistically, and I hate to say this, being the grunt that I am, but it all comes down to the front as well. And I wasn't, I wasn't disappointed, but I damn sure wasn't impressed with what I saw on Saturday from the offensive line. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And just for context, you know, we talked about this last week. Um, there, there were eight guys who were rotating in. We saw that get narrowed down a little bit um, with, with the only change to the starting lineup. Well, I guess there were two. So Jake Wiley switches from left tackle to right tackle. And yep. uh, you have Max Ray starting at left tackle with Chance Lytle going to the bench. Now, there was a, a change about two-thirds of the way through, I guess, sometime in the second half. Um, and Casey Roddick came in at right guard for Kane and Ray. And so those, those were the six. So just to go across the line, it was left tackle, Max Ray, Kari Cooch next to him, Purcell, uh, Kane and Ray, and then Jake Wiley with Roddick subbing in at that right guard spot. Um, you get Frank Phillip back probably this week. Um, I think he's, he's, uh, he started at right tackle last year. I'm not sure if, if he'll go to right tackle and be a starter, go to left tackle and be the starter. But to be honest, I, I was pretty disappointed with those tackles in particular this week. I do think that straight off the injury, you probably get Frank back in there. Yeah. And I'd have, I look, if I'm running the offensive line right now, I'm putting Casey at right guard or left guard, one of the two, and we're rolling and, and he doesn't break the offense he doesn't break the starting lineup again uh from from a benching standpoint he's starting for the rest of the year he's your best interior offensive lineman he's salty he's mean at the point of attack and he moves people uh, and he's he just keeps getting better and better at the more i watch him and i know damn well that he was absolutely infuriated that he didn't get to play more in that game and i think it was a bad move not playing him i i like ray uh i like 54 but he struggled in the game bad um but so did Colby. So are they going to figure out what's going to go on at center and rotate more guys in there? Uh, I, I thought that Kerry played okay, but not great. I think your left guard needs to be your point of attack player. The the, the tackles have got to figure their shit out. I thought Jake yeah. played Jake Wiley played good at times, but also got exposed. And I thought yeah. Ray Ray is ex- exactly what I said when we talked about him earlier. 
that he looks the part. He's an athlete and all this other stuff. But when it comes down to it, uh, and and he, he needs to go compete, he gets exposed. And I saw that a couple of times too. So, you know, I, I if I'm running that offensive line unit right now, I'm starting Philippe at left tackle. I'm starting Jake Wiley at right. I'm putting Roddick at right guard, and I'm going to see if 54 can snap and maybe you know put 54 at center and see if he can play that. He's a little bit bigger, more physical than Colby. Kobe really got exposed. 92 whipped Kobe's ass. I mean, that's just, I'm not trying to talk shit about the guy, man. This is just the business that we're in. I mean, we can sit here and be like, you know, he really didn't play well in all these nice guy adjectives. Or we can just be like, look, we can pull a tail of the wand and be like, look, I got my ass beat and I'm going to get better. And that's the way that offensive linemen need to think. So, but also, I carry at left guard. I'm not overly impressed with the ability to move people off the point. And that's what guards are there to do. I'm you're there to move the other. There's three of you. If we can't move two, we might as well have two. So I they've got to figure out if they're going to run this like stretch zone or if they're going to bludgeon people. Are we going to do both? But not getting to the point where it doesn't look like we can do either because we're trying to do both. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that does make sense. And I think that it's just kind of frustrating is, is what it it's is. Super I mean, frustrating, bro. Like last year they were gutting people running the football mm-hmm. and this year it doesn't look like they can run the football a fucking lick. And that, that doesn't usually work like that. You usually get better running the football after you've had success doing it. So again, it, it's got to be one. Look, I'm not saying they have to be one or the other. You can run gap scheme and zone scheme together. But there's a couple of things that were very, very big indicators of, of coaching and game plan. Number one, every time they ran zone, the guards would like sprint to the second level to get to the, the linebackers. And the three technique and the, and the two eyes and the one techniques would like they would bludgeon the, the backside uh, double team player. And it's called point and drive. So the point player, the post player, is the guard who's got to play hard into the three technique and rotate his shoulders at a way where he's not square so we can climb and attack that gap. Because if he stays square, he just fills the hole. And then the, the other guy's called the drive player, and then he's supposed to be pushing the hip as they climb the linebackers. Well, they weren't going after the down lineman very much at all. Like, they were just sprinting off and, like, barely touching them. And the down linemen were making the plays at the line of scrimmage or in the backfield. And that, if you're not going to post the three technique and turn his shoulders and pay him the mind that he needs to be paid, there's no seam to run in. So I'm very eager to, to like, see them improve on that. But my, my biggest fear here is that Coach Rod isn't harping on the little, the Rico double teams and the, you know, the, the, the heavy calls rather than trying to chase linebackers. Let's climb to them and make them play over the top. A lot of that has to do with the personnel groupings. But a lot of it has to do also with what they're being taught in individual drill for that week's install. So, you know, good offensive football teams can do both. Um, but great offensive football teams that can run the ball do one of the two exceptional. And I think they're average at both right now. And that's not the way it should be working with that front and that personnel. I mean, I know a lot of those kids and I've watched them have success last year and I've, I've seen them at times have some success this year, although it was against UNC. 
but they couldn't run the ball fucking lick the other day against Texas A&M. And, that, and honestly, they were running it, and I felt like they had some success, but they didn't build off of it as the game went. I agree. I agree. And again, I, it, it definitely makes it look worse when you don't have Jarek out there, who just makes everything easier. I think that it, it's so easy to, to look at Jarek and say, like, yeah, his, his best trait is his ability to, to cut it back and see, like, the, the backside running lanes open up. But at the same time, those don't open up for just anybody. He is so fast and stretches the defense and stresses those edges so much that he gets those cutback lanes. And I think that that can make the offensive line look a lot better because he creates some of those holes himself. And then as soon as you lose Jarek in that second half, there's just nowhere for these running backs to go. So who, who else do we want to see in the backfield than more? Let, let, let's say 23 doesn't get a lot of run this week because they're trying to get him healthy for Arizona State, which I absolutely okay. can see happening. Who's getting the run? I mean, I think what we want to see is a shot Clayton, right? Which a note on him, by the way, you know, we talked a lot about the vision developing and how they didn't want him to run the zone runs last year. Uh, he, uh, he had three carries this week, all gap, which, you know, just that, that trend continuing. Um, and maybe again, a hint of what the coaching staff thinks of his vision. Um, but I, I think that it's probably Alex Fontenot getting, call it 50%. I think it's a shot getting 30%. And then that other 20%, if Jarek isn't going to go, I think that they, while they could just give those reps to those other two running backs, I think they want to see some Deion Smith. And I think that he probably is next up in that group with Jay Lee being kind of just, just a pure fullback at this point, I think with next year, maybe uh, diversifying that a little bit. Well, I would love for Lewis to be the main ball carrier this week. If, if That's a good point. Broussard's yep. not going to be there. You're building on what we were talking about earlier. Just for the simple fact that I like – look, I love Clayton. He looks the part. But he – I think that he's one of those guys that if he gets 20 carries, he could probably do some damage. But, again, if we're just going to tease everybody with three carries with the kid and they're all going to be the same thing, look – if you and I can see this, if you can see the fact that all they do is gap, yeah. well, so can the defensive coordinator at Minnesota. He's going, okay, Clayton's in the game. They're just going to run gap. Mm-hmm. Oh, and now Fontenot's in the game, and now they're going to run zone. That There's no zone back gap. There's no zone backs and gap backs. There's running backs, but I don't know any guys who just run zone and just run gap. I mean, that 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 shit is ridiculous right there. So, Again, the, they're supposed to have depth and be diverse in the room from running back from the running back position, and it just doesn't seem like they are, with the exception of twenty three, and they threw him into a into a flat route that blew his knee out. So, yep. I really hope that it's just a, a bone bruise or like a slight meniscus or something, because you know he's had so many lower body problems up to this point, and it doesn't just it doesn't manifest into something that can't be fixed all year because. They need him to get back to what they were. You, If you can combine 70% of last year's offense with this defense, they may lose only one game and one more game. And I think the game at Oregon is going to be an uphill battle, no less. They're fucking good. But yep. they, the Buffs have a chance in every other game to go out there and win and win handily because of how good their defense is. Yep. And, and I mean, again, we talked about this. But Stanford got dominated in the trenches by Kansas State, didn't score a point. And yep. then the next week, 
put up 42 on USC. 42! Dominating in the trenches. That goes to show what that USC defense is. And I think that you look across the Pac-12, and yeah, you you have Utah always going to be solid up there. And Stanford is better than they showed against Kansas State, obviously. Um, Oregon is Oregon. But when you look at the start of the schedule, you should be able to run on Arizona State, and you should be able to bludgeon them up front on the other side. The next week you've got, you've got USC, it's the same thing. I think that when you look through this schedule, like you said, they can beat any of these teams. They just kind of have to go do it. Um, I, w- I will say, though, this, this Minnesota game is going to be a big one because you start with Northern Colorado, and that's just not a, a competitive opponent. Then you go to Texas A&M, and that is a really good football team, better than probably all but one or two teams that Colorado is going to play all season. So what happens when you play Minnesota? You know, does, does this offensive line all of a sudden look a little bit better because they aren't going up against a bunch of guys who are all of them 315 pounds in the trenches? Do, they, do these running backs start to look more like they did against Northern Colorado? Because I think at the very least they split the difference. And we just need to see what, what is that number? What is Alex Fontenot's? Is he a four-yard per carry guy against Minnesota after being whatever he was, a three-yard per carry guy against AM? Or is he like a five-yard per carry guy? And then you get really excited. And so I do think that this is going to be one of these games where we see, okay, this is this is a team that is comparable to a lot of Colorado's Pac-12 opponents. Are they able to put up at least 25 points? And then then you could really start to buy in, I think. And, and I, they have the potential to do it. There's no doubt. They have the personnel to do it. There's no doubt. It's just a matter of doing it. Yep. And, and I, you know, I'd be very interested to see how many how many different run looks they actually have in the game plan yeah. you know like I, i'm not sitting in the meeting room but how many how many outside toss plays out of bunch do they have how many how many like flanker reverses i haven't seen any of anything like that no creativity on on a lot of motion and you know the the things that make the 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 stretch defense and or the the uh, excuse me the the uh spread offense sorry the spread offense so effective and so lethal the defenses everywhere is because of movement and speed and getting on the edges and the ability for see you would think CU has the personnel to do that absolutely but it seems like they're stuck in this rut where they're running the same running plays over and over and over again into the teeth of a defense that knows they're about to run the same play over and over and over again. So where's, where the trap plays, where's the pure power, where's the double pull counter that we saw. I didn't see double pull counter once. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, that, you know, we, we see the bubble screens and that kind of stuff. But like you said, those jet sweeps, those end arounds, those, those, there's just a, a little bit more that can be done. And, and, you know, I, I'm excited to see if it's going to happen uh, just because you think if, if we're sitting here saying it, they're saying the same thing. Like we have Dimitri Stanley. We have Brendan Rice. Yes, we can get them the ball in bubble screens. Yes, we can run some some passing routes, obviously. But can we also just manufacture a couple more even easier touches than those bubble screens? Because that, like you said, that is kind of the, the fun part of a spread offense. Is, is just attacking those those defensive ends in a bunch of different ways because there is space right there. Let, let me ask you some two two guys. 
are you severely disappointed in the wide receiver room and how they've played up to this point? Because I am almost like disgusted. I think. Uh, look, look, I, number I one, I think Rice far. is. Well, I, how can you not be? Chenault's suspended. So he's obviously doing something off the field he shouldn't be doing. And look, man, I got suspended in my college career. I got arrested multiple times and suspended. I'm not ashamed of it. But Coach Barnett was of the reform mindset, and I loved hearing Coach Terrell say that. We've got to come back and reform him a little bit and get him right. And he knows what he has to do to get back on the team, and God willing, he will. But, bro, like, the lack of creativity with those guys, number one, and then – if Brendan Rice is what we think he is, he should be, they should be, Lewis should be able to step back and throw the ball up to him exactly. in college. And he should be dominating. And he's not, he's not even on the field. He's, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to even tell me he's got more than five catches on the year. Yeah, he doesn't. He does not. Well, that's that's not, not acceptable. That's not acceptable for that quarterback, for that wide receiver room, especially I mean, when the offensive coordinator is the position coach. Yep. So what what what's the answer on that one right there? Because it looks to me like I overvalued the receiver room unbelievably if that's what is really happening. And I, I'm just hoping that it was Texas A&M's outstanding defense also doing the same thing that our outstanding defense did to them. Yep. And, and the reason I can't quite get to disgusted by the receiving room is just because I'm not sure how much of the blame should be placed on them versus on the play calling and versus just straight up on Brendan Lewis. Um, I don't know how that all breaks down um, in terms of like what he's, he's averaging about a hundred passing yards a game, maybe just under a hundred passing yards through. Oh my God. That's terrible. That's got to get up to, to 200 or so. 200 or so in modern college football, he should be throwing the ball for 250 yards a game minimum. Probably, probably. I mean, come on, bro. Under 100 yards passing a game, That this is why I'm sitting here saying at some point they're going to have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, we've got to put somebody else at quarterback. Yep. I, I think that in, in my head right now, I put it at probably 50% on Brendan, probably probably 25 each on, on the receivers and on Darren Cheverini. Um is, is that where you have it? No, I think it's more like 80% on Chivarini and 10% on the wide receiver group and the quarterback group. They don't have any say on whatsoever on what's going on in the field. Lewis doesn't have any clout. He doesn't really know what he's looking at, I would bet. I would say that if you sat Brendan Lewis down in my office and I started talking to him about under fronts and over fronts and squeeze gaps and hot routes and stacks and adjustments, he'd probably be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But it, it he would get it eventually, I'm sure. I just, again, we talked about like the one read passes and things like that. It's because he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's every everything, he's seeing everything for the first time. That's not fault. That's an experience. So it's, it, if we're going to assess blame, the, the, you know, the multifaceted, the multifaceted, offensive coordinator that's been everywhere and was on a staff with Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech with Patrick Mahomes and shit and everything they did to create points that he should be able to diversify that's why he got the job so if they're look I didn't know that number and now I'm even more disgusted that that's not that 
under 100 yards passing a game. I don't give a shit who you're playing. I don't care if you're fucking playing Alabama two weeks in a row. I mean, under 100 yards passing a game is unacceptable in every way, shape, and form. Let's uh let's wrap this up by setting some goals for this week. Um, so, okay. so uh, in terms of rushing yards, what what number of total rushing yards would you say is a number that you look at and say this was a good week for the running game? 150 minimum. I mean, okay. I, I need them to go out there and put, you know, four and a half five yards of carry on Minnesota and wear them out and run the ball down their throat and get vertical in the running game and not not try and lay on Bell in the backfield and look for a hole, just make one. Um, but I, it's all contingent on the ability to throw the ball because if I'm Minnesota, it's like flip right now. If I'm Minnesota, I'm looking at them and going, well, shit, they can't throw the ball either. So we're, we're just going to line up and just beat the hell out of each other all day in the trench. I'm cool with that, but the fans aren't <laughs> going to like it very much. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to go higher. I, I think you need, I think you need 200. Uh, just looking through what they've done to this point, uh, what they, they've run for 250 yards in like three of eight games under Durrell. I think 200 is, is a pretty fair bar to set. Um, in terms of passing yards, what's your number? At minimum, like two, 225, something like that on close to 20 completions would be, you know, short throws, easy completions, screen passes, seam routes, things that he can do. Uh, but it, you know, if we're looking at a, what were his numbers on Saturday? Do you have them in front uh, of you? Not to put can, you on the spot. Sorry. I can get them really quick. I mean, um, t- tell me his numbers from the second week of the season against fifth ranked Texas A&M. Brendan Lewis. <laughs> there sorry. We go. Uh, it's all good. Um, just waiting for it to load. All right. Uh, so, so here they are for the first two weeks. Um, so he was 23 of 40 for 191, a touchdown interception total. I can't get this. Let's see. But still, that's 23 completions in two games. That's not great. It's not going to cut it, bro. And I don't really care about the feelings here. Like, look, this is the problem. There's a lot of emotion wrapped up in college football. And people get like either the kid gets offended or a coach gets offended or a fan gets offended by business. This is no different than any other business in the world. If you do not perform to the level that your boss needs you to, they replace you. And that is the way this works. So Lewis could be the nicest kid in the world, and he could be have a ton of potential, and he could be a, a damn you know, first-round draft pick in five years for all I know. Mm-hmm. But if he's got 23 completions through two games, and one of those games is UNC, that's not going to work. That That's just a, a lack of, of, of either – decision-making ability or talent and it's got to that has got to stop i mean there's a lot of college games where i watch guys have 23 completions yep so it it's the that is man henry that that really freaks me out bro that that's now i'm concerned 13 to 25 for 89 with that that fluky pick this and they lost by three points yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. This is what I'm talking about, bro. He did have 76 I mean, rushes. Come on. That so? True. So what? That's what he's supposed to do. He exactly. he's the he's the quarterback. He's supposed to get yards. And that, that's another thing that even that drives me up the wall too is 
he's he had 73 rushing yards and we stopped running the ball with him yeah it's uh it's there's there's things to work out and here's what i'll say about this offense i still just think that first of all it's not i don't think it can go down from here oh uh, no it can't it, get it, worse exactly and on top of that you, you you have to remember you know brendan lewis he started two games you should expect growth. How much growth? We just can't have to wait and see. When it comes to the offensive line, they didn't have potentially their best offensive lineman with Frank uh, for these first couple games. He's going to come back. They're still figuring out what this best five is. So that group is going to get better. The receivers, they've been disappointing, but they're also very young. And that's another group that you say they're going to keep getting better. Although I guess with Vontae, if he's out for a significant period of time he, i mean he's suspended bro he's he's done yeah. for a while and, and look i'm not trying to to harp on the kid it, it's he's got to just learn from his mistakes and move forward if his brother is that talented mm-hmm. hopefully his brother could talk some sense into his younger brother and be like yo whatever you're doing partying too much not going to class whatever it is mm-hmm. it's nothing severe or he'd be arrested yeah so it's some it's some kid shit and people just need to understand that college kids do dumb shit sometimes and he'll either learn from it or he won't be here, but hopefully he's here because he's multi-talented. He is. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, just that, you know, we're hard on him because we love him. You know, mm-hmm. that that's the way this works. Um, you know, it, it's different. In my opinion, there's a difference between opinion and expertise and we're both experts on this topic, so there's not much opinion here. Um, so, you know, the, the, the Buff fans, if they, this is what I need from Buffalo Country and Buffalo Nation here. Show up Folsom Saturday at 11 a.m., make it priority to be there and make it important. Travel to the away games you can go to and support your team and, and really try and relish this season because this defense is the kind of defense that you don't see a lot in college. And, man, it, it's fun to watch. And then, you know, I think that they beat Minnesota. I think they beat them at home. I don't know what the over-under is, but I would take the under. Um, and I, I don't know if they really beat their ass. I think Minnesota has a lot of pride as a team. They're not just going to roll over. They're going to play hard all game. And, you know, I know that P.J. Fleck is up there telling them, like, look, they, if we can shut them down offensively, it's going to be a dogfight, and that's what we have to be prepared for. So I think they beat Minnesota 20 to 14. I like it. I, I think that's fair. Um, last question before I let you go. Uh, right now, obviously, we, we haven't seen the full body of work. We're only two games in with this defense, but where does this defense rank in the country? Top five, top 10, top 20? Where are you at right now? I think they're a top five unit in the country. I think they're they're hands down the best unit in the Pac-12, um, and nobody can convince me otherwise. Go go, just like I, I don't. Obviously, you don't have Texas A&M's last year schedule up, but they didn't get held to ten points ever. Nope. I mean they 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 were put they put twenty eight or something like that on Alabama in Tuscaloosa. So that the the performance I saw from that defense on Saturday was some of the most impressive shit I've seen in a long time. And I've, I've watched every buff game multiple times since I left. And I don't even think that there was a defensive unit that I played on in college. that's as good as this. And I, when we played with, and we had some damn ballers on the teams that I played with from Donald Strickland to Brayton, to 
to Bannon, to Jayshon Sykes, to Michael Lewis, to yours truly, to Abraham Wright. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Zizon and Iwu, and that we were never this good on defense. So I, I just think that people, especially Buff fans, need to understand how good they are. And I would look, dominating units win. So we could be looking at a circumstance where a defense just carries an offense through an entire season. And honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against that at this point. I just want to see him win and be successful. And I'm not going to say deserve. And, and I, I sent a message to Carson and Nate after the game. And I said, look, man, you know, you guys deserve to win this game this week, but, but you didn't, you didn't win. So the only thing you could do is go in and learn from it and lead and, and go out Saturday and, and beat Minnesota's ass. And they both were very receptive to that. You know, they understand what you have to do to be successful in this game. So I'm uh, I'm very, very, very hopeful that, you know, with the exception of catastrophic injury, this is the best defensive unit in, in Boulder in 25 years, probably, in my opinion. That is a great note to end this on. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, tough to complain about a great defense, uh, the best running back in the conference and a quarterback that at the very least doesn't turn the ball over. Um, we'll check in again next week. Uh, after the Minnesota game, before we get into conference play. Good stuff today, and uh, we'll see you then. Thank you, Henry. Go Buffs, brother. See you Saturday.